Do you ever have those like, well, huh, I should have figured that out a whole lot sooner moment? This podcast is an episode on what happens when you have that happen to you theologically on the kind of sometimes the basic things that the church forgets to tell us about. And then we later think, hmm, I wish I had known that or thought about that a little sooner. Hang in here with us and see if you think this is a issue in your life and in your church also. Hello and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. I'm your co-host Cameron McAllister. And I'm your co-host Nathan Rittenhouse. Today we're going to talk about things your church probably forgot to tell you about. Ah, this is awkward already. Let's go. Pretty awkward. If you don't mind, Nathan, I think, well, let me, let me start with a quick story here and you'll see where this is going listeners real quickly. But so for me, this, this line, this train of thought began as I talked to a pastor who was younger, more, a little bit Mm -hmm. younger than, than Nathan and I. So in that, in that age range, and you know, I mean, study after study is coming out confirming that it's this is a difficult time to be a pastor. A lot of pastors are are quitting and leaving the pulpit. Seminaries are in serious trouble. I know Nathan, well, you're you're I think your like, alma mater was, is yeah. Was it eighteen or nineteen Christian colleges closed during COVID? Yes, during COVID. Um, yep. And you yeah, and you're referring to the Christianity Today headline I think that said that one in four pastors will be retiring by 2030. And then, yeah, Gordon Conwell downsizing a bit, moving more things online, um, and a, a number of other seminaries um, struggling with numbers just as being in pastoral ministering leadership is not an attractive uh, position for most right. people. So, so it's, a, it's yeah. a tumultuous time for, for the church, and it's very hard for, for those who are spiritual leaders. So I was talking to this, this young guy. And he was relaying to me, he said, well, one of the big challenges, I know we talk a lot about many of the, you know, exotic cultural questions involving, you know, sexuality and identity and all of that. And those are incredibly important questions. But he just said on the ground here, I have a very hard time telling people who aren't married, you shouldn't be living together. We really, I mean, if you're, if you continue this, we're going to have, we, we, we can't serve you communion. In other words, he he's a man with no real spiritual authority because the culture would say, who do you think you are? But then when I was telling you that story, Nathan, just to put you on the spot here, you basically, you had something surprising to say. You, you asked, yeah, but how long has it, can you remember, Cameron, when, when did you hear the last, when was the last time you heard a sermon on sex before marriage, for instance? Yeah, and, and so I cannot remember. <laughs> yeah, well, so the reason I was yeah, and and there are sto- similar stories that I could run you through of like talking to pastors who were surprised when talking to people in their congregation that they were surprised like you don't see this as an issue, and they're like, why would this be an issue? And then then be like, uh, clearly it is, and they're like, well, we never heard about it. Um, and and you get thinking about like what are these topics that historically were so obvious to Christians that you just assume that everybody knows the basics of certain things that you don't talk about them or they become awkward or you just talk about something else for five years and somebody went through their whole high school career and never heard a message on something from the pulpit. So it could be cultural, it could be time, it could be a factor of a whole number of other things. But yeah, we're running into that more and more where there are people who are just like, 
jaw-dropping surprise that somebody didn't know something or somebody is like, oh, Christians believe that. And you're like, this is pretty basic. So a la this episode. And I think we've come to a point where the, the phrase brilliance and the basics keeps repeating in my mind. As a culture, I'm going to just speak in broad terms for a second. This is a problem that crops up in many different places. We always, because we are addicted to new things, we just love novelty. That's a tick of the modern world. So we want a new show. We want a new strategy. We, not, we want a new book, a new program, a new idea, a new exercise technique. But mm -hmm. the truth is often what we, ask, what we really need is to get back to some of those basics. There, you don't need some new technique or strategy. You need to learn to do those things that are really going to help to cultivate your, your greatest strength. So when we're talking about Christianity, reading your Bible, cultivating a consistent prayer life, and working together in community with, with other Christians and at your church to practice obedience to Jesus Christ. Okay, well, well all well, of these. Yeah, let's yeah. let's make it even. So, okay, so we can go down the rabbit trail of like biblical illiteracy, and that's real. You can look up the statistics on that. However, I think there's a theological illiteracy that goes on top of the biblical illiteracy. Like, if you're listening to this right now, think through what percentage of your congregation has a well developed concept of how their sexual behavior of what their sexual behavior says about what they believe about God. Hmm. Like are most people using their theological beliefs to inform their sexual or even financial practices? Right. Do you have a, an integrated vision of reality? I, so like, like yeah. are those, are those, are those, are those concepts even connected in most of the people's mm -hmm. minds sitting on your pew? Um, you know, in, in the church around you. That's the that's the kind of stuff that we're talking about here. We're just like stuff your church either forgot to tell you, didn't have time to tell you, or you didn't want to hear it, so you went to another church. That's an option. And I think too. we balk we we would balk at many of those those items you just named because of how invasive it sounds to us. So right. this pastor who yeah, who I was talking to, he he had said, you know, basically people will say, Who the heck do you think you are? Yeah, my 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 finances, how I conduct my business how I live my ordinary, real life, why, why on earth would I, I mean, I keep all of these in their discrete categories and I, I've bracketed them. Now, we've, we have a, I've brought in the phrase several times, practical atheism on this podcast. And that's part of what that phrase is, is getting at. The notion that you, go to, you, may go to, you may attend a church and you may draw some inspiration, some some encouragement, some spiritual encouragement, and get some fellowship and community. But then you leave that place and you go back to the, quote, real world, where you live as though Christ is effectively not real or very distant and completely irrelevant to your day-to-day -day life. So did we do this to and ourselves, that's though? That's a default for many of us. Yeah, did we do this to ourselves sure. theologically, though, in the sense that I've said this a number of times in the, in the last week, so forgive me if I just said this on the podcast recently, but we do seem to be coming off of the back end of a time in which our modern Christian experience acts as if Jesus had said, come think about me rather than come follow me. And so we've, we've divorced behavior from theology so far in order to avoid the, 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 the horror of 
works-based mm-hmm. salvation or that it's a misunderstanding of like obedience is a misunderstanding of grace or something. Like we've, we've, we've almost now weaponized that to an extreme and opposite direction that, um, you know, Jesus would definitely be considered a legalist in most churches today. So I think there's a, a theological undertow here that will need a necessary correction in order for the church to continue to survive as a unique entity um, and even institution in the next five years, maybe soon. And I think we should press, I think you're right. We should press into that for a second because it is very practical and it's one of the biggest questions that I get when I'm traveling around. It's predicated on a misunderstanding of grace. And it's been possible for a long time. And you're right, there's, there is a vast kind of increasingly sometimes theologically sophisticated system for reinforcing it at times. And this question came up under the the heading of orthodoxy versus orthopraxy split. That sure, was that was right, a question yeah. for a while. I remember that was probably about five years ago or so. I would I would and will be frequently. again in the future. So learn it now. And will be again in the future. But this really has to do with how you understand grace. I think that's a, that's very important. Dallas Willard's distinction is. I think is one of the more helpful ones in recent years where he says grace is opposed to earning, but it is not opposed to effort. But he also has another way of putting it. He would say to people who would, would, would give you the quote, grace is unmerited favor. He would say that's fine so far as it goes, but it's not a very dynamic definition. It doesn't actually tell you what grace does practically. And so Willard would just say, grace is God doing through me what I can't do on my own. Yeah. Well, and so, and so we, I'll go back a little farther than Dallas Willard and quote Paul. Here's Titus uh, 2.11. For the grace of God, so we're talking about grace of God, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us, this is what grace does. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then nice little gospel presentation follows from there. But Paul's conception of grace is that, and that idea of grace is God doing for me what I can't do for myself, is not merely future tense salvific. He sees grace as the pedagogical element that produces the ability to say no to ungodliness, that produces self-controlled uprightness and godly lives in this present age. Um, and so it's, it doesn't get really much more. That's not, that's not Hebrews or James. That's Paul talking about grace there. So some of this is like very basic, um, in some sense. So I I guess the question is, where does that get re like, how does that get recaptured? It's basic, but it's also extremely, the word is not forgotten. The word is misunderstood, I think. And so this is very profound stuff. So you use the word pedagogical there. That's really important because this, this runs the risk of sounding a little bit academic for a second, but it could not be more practical. I'm drawing on the work here of Drew Johnson, D-R-U, who teaches at King's College. But Drew, he does a lot of work on, on epistemology, how we know. Mm-hmm. But one of one of the and but he presses into, unlike most epistemologists, I mean, can you imagine an epistemologist? That sounds like some kind of <laughs> what do you do doctor. as a day job? Well, yeah, I have to visit. I have to visit the the epistemologist today. I yeah, think I've been vaccinated against that. <laughs> right, 
But he presses particularly into the Hebrew way of thinking. So Drew Johnson is is very he's, he's very convinced actually that there's a full blown Hebraic philosophical tradition. That's just a fun footnote on the side there because a lot of people would say no, no, you know the Hebraic tradition isn't really philosophical in nature. That's the Hellenistic side. Anyway, I I digress. All right, but here's where this is important. He Cameron's back in the boat. Back in the boat. He looks a lot in the in the book of Genesis and he looks a lot at the book of Exodus to tease this out. But he talks about how basically we as human beings in some very important and fundamental ways know through obedience. Part of how we come to have a full, not just theoretical understanding, a full understanding is through obedience. And that's not just limited to the spiritual life, by the way. That's true of many of our everyday pursuits. There are many pursuits there from swimming to riding a bicycle where eventually action, obedience to a master or to somebody who's giving you instructions is going to be a prerequisite to actually full understanding. I mean, you could somebody could hand you the physics of a bicycle, which by the way is is pretty mind-boggling apparently. That's that's an example from Michael Polani, who was another guy Drew Johnson draws on if you're if you're taking notes here. But all that to say, I know this sounds really academic. Part of how you learn as a Christian and develop wisdom and real knowledge of the holy, moral knowledge, is through obedience. Ooh, and only ooh, through obedience. Ooh, hand raise. Nathan has Nathan Nathan's raising his hand. <laughs> yeah. I see to you. Quote, yes, to, quote, <laughs> to quote Jesus, John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, he will obey me. My father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Right. So this is not, again, rocket science. Like, this is fundamental. Yeah. There this it is. is. basic. This is basic. But you see what that means, though. And again, let's give a really practical example here. We all know that there are people out there who understand Christianity better than we do and who do not follow Christ. Oh, the, right. You, yeah. You, any, I mean— any prestigious or even, you know, subpar, let's say, divinity school will have on its <laughs> faculty people who know church history better than you do, who have a better understanding of, of the Greek and the Aramaic and the Hebrew and have probably massive swaths of scripture memorized, and yet they do not follow Christ or believe he is the Savior. Well, to quote, Grandpa, really, to quote Grandpa on this, you can read Greek oh, and go to hell. Grandpa on here. You can, yeah, that's the line. You can read Greek and go to hell. So <laughs> those are not mutually exclusive abilities. So thanks, Grandpa. Moving on. Yeah. Thank you, Grandpa. He has to make an appearance. But but that's just to, but that's to show you. And and again, what what's the well? Let's bring in James here. And it is revealing that this this debate, you know, has has a, a kind of dramatic point at in the in the early Reformation history with Luther and his his disdain, serious problems with the Book of James. But of course, you know, you believe you do well. The demons believe and confess. Oh, right. So, yeah. So let's let's hammer that out a second because I think that our modern conception of belief is that a belief in existence is the thing that impresses God. And that's right. not what it means to believe in God. Belief as in trust that what he is telling you is good and true, that is belief. Not like, it's like to say yeah. that I believe in my mother doesn't mean that I believe she exists, it means I don't think she's intentionally trying to poison me at our ne next family get-together. Those are radically different things. So, yeah, you believe in God. So, Congratulations. You want a cookie? 
even the demons do, you know, so that doesn't impress God. Right. And so here's where this be- this becomes an oh snap moment, I think, for a lot of people, because another feature here, we've talked about there's there's a th- theological, I'm going to say, I'm going to be bold enough to say there's a, th- there's a theological misreading of grace that often is operative. And then you also have many churches who have tried to tailor their messages to attract outsiders. So this, you've got, this is, this is with good intentions. And this is not just churches with, quote, attractional models or seeker-sensitive models. It's not. That's sure, important to say. seeker-sensitive yeah, church. Right. <clears throat> it, yeah. I mean, seeker-sensitive ch- churches were on the, are on the map for that, and everybody loves to pick on them. And, oh, you know, lots of, you know, fog machines and loud music. and all. Many, many churches have watered down stuff. Not, not... Again, it's important important to emphasize the the good intentions here, not to try to water down the gospel or to make it more, you know, not not to compromise or capitulate. The hope has been to well, we don't want to turn, you know, we want we don't want to turn people off right when they come in. We want to make sure. But the problem is, you've lost you've lost some of those basics, and it's it is a bit disingenuous because it's not it's not the full story. If we're not, I mean, if you look at Christ. And you look at his practice with the way he talked to people. And he and he was, of course, very wise to do so. This man turned water into wine. If you want people to follow you, <laughs> my goodness. <laughs> yeah, well, there's an attractional model. <laughs> there's an attractional model. But then what does he do? Does he does he say, oh, yeah, there's plenty more where that came from? Does he consolidate his base? Does he work on his brand? Does he give lots of great TED Talks? No, he starts to say, if, you know, to this to his audience for whom family is everything. Yeah, you know, anybody who doesn't hate his mother, father, you know, sister, brother, sister-in-law, brother-in-law. I mean, he just goes down the list. He like pick up your cross. The point here, you know, the real yeah. comfy. Take up your cross and follow me. Yeah, anybody who doesn't do that is not worthy to follow me. So he's being he's being honest right there, and well, he's being forthright. Yeah, so so the pushback then is people would say, well, you're not Jesus. And I, yes, that is true. Because um, there's this emphasis that if you focus too much on like, what is what does the Lord require of you? Um, you see that everywhere with the, you know, loving mercy and doing justice and all that. But the, the, the fact of the matter is, is that the church is worried about being judgmental, I think. And rightly so. And are there judgmental stuck up people? Sure, yes, yeah. that is there. But when Paul is giving a list of things like, um, you know, here's a list of people who won't inherit the kingdom of God, like slanderers and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. His next line is always something like, and that is what you once were. And so th- the church is is fundamentally made up of people who have been participating in the things that everybody else was participating on and then changed. Um, and even from that Titus passage I was reading, if you get down into the beginning of chapter three, he says, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. So that's that's the core group of the church. Rest of the sentence. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing, the rebirth, and renewal by the Holy Spirit and onward it goes. And, and so right in the same breath where he's talking about the grace of God that brings salvation, teaches us to say no to ungodliness, he's reminding the people of like, this is what you were. Um, and so the, the, the church can have both of these things. It's not an either or, like we have to act like we were all perfect and you have to live up to some standard before you can come and worship with us. 
that doesn't show up in scripture. That's the opposite of Jesus's model. Um, but righteousness is a conformity to a standard and the standard from the new Testament perspective of what is it that God requires of us as Christ likeness. When you, when you put that there, I used to get like pretty hot in the head about stuff. I guess I still do. But when I was a kid, like, why is this going on in the church? And my mom had this great little line where she would always say, Nathan, the Lord has a lot of work to do on us all. And so my, my mom in her wisdom was continuously including herself in the group of people that the Lord was working on in our church. And that is the proper and healthy move to do there. So I think when, when you can in, inhabit that, you can then call out sin and brokenness because that is what you once were. And then say, but when the kindness of God, our savior appeared, this is the move that you need to make. And so I wonder if we're missing the ball on both sides of that. One of those being the vulnerability of saying, yeah, I did this and I messed up. And let me tell you about the kind, like when we had um, our uh, Alan on here to talk about um, why he's opposed to abortion, somebody who he and his wife had an abortion at one point, and now he regrets that and repents of it and feels like he's been given forgiveness and, and lives a very pro-life life in the other direction. Um, I think that's the kind of trajectory there that gives us the ability to say, hey, there's sin. Here's the line. But that's not that doesn't exclude you from our fellowship. It's just here's now the new line and the standard of what it is that we're growing toward. So I think that I just throw that all in there to add on to the operative function of what grace actually does in healthy Christian fellowship congregations and discipleship. Yeah. And it's so necessary to check the attitude going into all of this and to give you the, yeah, the full perspective of <laughs> who you are and who you once were, who you are becoming. All of that is important. But if you want to, I mean, if you want to know Christ, obedience is a prerequisite. Theoretical knowledge alone is not sufficient. And I think that's where. And that was spoken to you by a Presbyterian, everybody. <laughs> Yeah, let it. Yeah, <laughs> let, let it be known. That has to be. That, yeah, let it be known. That has to be stated right up front. But it's true. So I mean, I think those are those are some of the conspicuous factors that often work to impede us. Sometimes there's a there's a misunderstanding of grace. There's the notion that what that theoretical knowledge alone is sufficient, and then there's that that third that tendency to downplay some of the more challenging aspects of the gospel. And actually what's what's funny about that is it's not so much that they're challenging, they're just they're all the parts that mean it encroaches on your actual life and day-to-day -day experience <laughs> and how you live your life and what you do and you know how you conduct your affairs, that sort of thing. <sighs> See, yeah, now you're meddling. All right, so so what do we Okay, so what's what do we what's the what do we do with this then? So if we're if if you're listening to this and you are in leadership in a congregation, yeah, let me give you some categories to respond to, Cameron. So let's talk about people who are involved in like curriculum and ministry components of church leadership. How do you do that? And then let's just say, hey, I'm somebody who is, you know, I'm committed. I'm showing up. I'm thinking about this. I'm trying to grow. There's that category. And then there's this like, well, you know, I grew up in the church, maybe walking on the outside edge of this a little bit, thinking about stepping back in. Um those three categories broadly, what, what does this idea of obedience, knowledge, what we're teaching, the invitation, the standard, 
I guess I'm I'm seeing a different application here, or maybe not. Is there a is there a thread that you can pull together for us through the middle of all that that um that kind of brings us along no matter where we're at on this journey? Well, I think the key to most of what we've what we've been looking at today really i think it it revolves around the word obedience that's what i keep coming back to because that seems to be an uncomfortable word i've noticed that often when when i bring it up if i'm speaking in different places and in different churches it's often received with with apprehension by a lot of a lot of people i can see people tense up because yeah there's a there's a fear of legalism there's a fear of abuse so i think recovering a more holistic understanding of a, of what obedience actually means and its place in human life mm-hmm. especially as a pre- prerequisite to understanding but also looking at christ's life and his words and seeing that there is no other way to truly know him other than you know we we if you if you really love him and, and believe him, you'll do what he says. In the same way, and this is this is an example that a lot of other Christian epistemologists have used. This is Esther Lightcap Meek, who uses this one. And I think it's really helpful. She's she's in she has a section in her book where she says, knowing God is a bit like knowing your car mechanic. So she'll use these very everyday <laughs> examples to try to, but we need that. We need to take some of because sometimes. I think the phrase I've used before, I use this in my book, is we we elevate Christ into irrelevance in our lives. Hmm. Yeah, excarnation, with to quote Taylor. Excarnation, there you go. Yeah, in matters of faith, we tend to put them up sometimes on these in these sacred categories and then on these pedestals that are so far removed from, from practical life, they cease to have any practical significance to us. So if you think about it in those terms, if you believe what your mechanic is telling you, you'll actually go through you'll do it you'll you'll mm, you know you'll mm. go through those repairs if you believe what your physician is telling you what he's prescribing you you'll take it right if you don't believe them you won't if you believe Jesus is lord and you believe that he actually is the master of how one ought to live and that he made you then to the best of your abilities and with the help from your brothers and sisters in Christ and with empowered by his Holy Spirit, you'll do your best to live that out. Imperfectly, mm-hmm. of course, because you're not perfect yet. You're on your way. You are a pilgrim on your way, and the culmination of your journey will bring you face to face with your Lord and Savior. Right now you see through a glass darkly, but one day you'll see him face to face. I think obedience is the is the word I would I would choose to tie this together, Nathan. Who um it's slipping my mind. Is it NT Wright or Dallas Willard? who says that to say you believe something is to live as if it's true. That's Dallas Willard. Yes. I beat Cameron to a Dallas Willard quote. I just marked down the date, everybody. Um, but the, um, but I didn't know who it was from. So minus half a point. Um, so that idea of like to live as if it is true. So, so maybe to, to take what you said and then add on to the answer to my own question of saying probably the starting point is to wherever you're at on this journey is to to read the teachings of Jesus as if they were written for you. And what you will immediately run into is like good lord I can't do this help. And that is exactly the right response 
And then that's why when Jesus says, it's good that I go because I will send to you, uh, go back and read, you know, about what the Holy Spirit will do in Christ sends him. He will convict of sin. He will guide, will teach and help us glorify the father. So that is exactly the movement of grace right there that puts us back into what we were created for and then makes use of our lives in this world um, in a meaningful and productive way. So I think that's that's good if you're in Christian leadership to do that. I think that's good if you're just growing as a Christian. And I think it's really valuable if you're thinking about what does my future involvement with Christianity look like? Because that puts the focus on what is it that Jesus actually said um, and can kind of help you helpfully sidestep some of the craziness that goes on um, with Christians sometimes that is um, in spite of um, what Jesus was up to. So I think the, the focus there is calling for Jesus did stuff and taught stuff and expected us to do stuff and to teach stuff and to live in a certain way. And you can't get that uh, in one hour on a Sunday morning. You can't get that two hours a week listening to Nathan and Cameron. You and the Lord are going to have to uh, sort that out on your own. So I think push into that and say, Lord, what do you want of me? And not see that as legalism, but see that as just an overflow of love and response to the goodness that you're growing to see who God is. Um, and it's it's the natural, action is the natural response of, of love. Work is the natural outwork of love. Um, those things aren't in, in conflict at all. And so, yeah, I think dwell on that. And then also, I would encourage you, ask your pastor tough questions. Ask him, hey, how should I be thinking about fill in the blank theologically? Surprise him with a good question of um, strange things. Does my diet, does the car that I drink, or does the car that I drive, the things that I drink, does my sex life, my finances, how do I bring all of this into? Um, most pastors and preachers would be thrilled to talk to you about how to grow in integrity and bring all of these uh, aspects back into um, a lifestyle that's informed by what Christ has. That's what. That's why they're doing their job is to help people do that, and um, so I think ask ask good questions like that too, and um, allow the Lord to work there. So anyway, I feel like Cameron, we kind of just you know crashed into the iceberg here and got some water flowing, but didn't really get to uh, to, to deal with the majority of the subject there. But we wanted to throw this out there for you who are thinking deeply about these things. Um, do the hard work so that you won't be surprised by simple and basic Christian things. And I think it's not just to prevent surprise, but the real beauty and the deep knowing comes for pursuing these things in the way that Christ taught us. You've been listening to Thinking Out Loud, a podcast where we think out loud about current events and Christian hope. Thanks for listening to Thinking Out Loud. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, book Nathan or Cameron, or if you'd like to support us financially, whether through a one-time donation or on a monthly basis, you can do so on the donate page at www.toltogether.com. That's toltogether.com. And please consider leaving us a five-star rating and sharing this content with your friends. It really does help.